Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast here with Benji for the Women's Awards Show. Complete awards show going through best classics rider, all-round rider, GC rider, TT rider, domestique, sprinter, and lead out as well as the unfortunate news which dropped earlier this afternoon about the closure of GCN+. Plus, Obviously a product that many uh, we have used and many of you have used as a means to watch live cycling. So we're going to talk about that as well with the info that's come out there and what that means for uh, us in the future. or well, not us in the future, but as in consumers. Where, where do we watch <laughs> cycling in the future is what we're going to discuss in yeah. 24 that's a pretty important thing uh for everyone that watches this but first the women's awards show benji the best sprinter i thought in february this year after the first uae sprint that this was going to be a bit tighter but in the end i still think lorena vibas runs away with this i think it's really intriguing looking at all the sprints they had throughout the year because Vibas and Cole are for me the two riders. I think for everybody, they are the two riders that you're looking at for the best sprinter category. And it's actually unsurprising that every single one of these categories has at least one SD Works rider involved. <laughs> Sometimes it's like between many SD Works riders, but for sprinter, Vibas nine Wilter wins, 12 total wins. Charlotte Cole, same total wins, around 12 and seven Wilter wins, but it's kind of an evolution throughout the year in my eyes as in we started with the UAE tour and you said it in that race they were close but I felt after that race that Weebus was still the fastest sprinter and that the difference was made in slight disadvantages for Weebus in the stages that she ended up losing so for example in one of the stages she went early in the wind early and as a consequence well Cole was able to overtake her and win that stage and then we go further through the year and the obvious one is that the versatility between the two riders is different, but I'll let you judge that in a second. But when it comes to the pure sprinting, the Simak Ladies Tour Stage 3 for me was also a moment where Cole truly straight up beat Weebus, which doesn't happen often in, in women's cycling that a sprinter does that. And that's one where I'm like, that might mean that she might be able to make another tiny step forward and maybe be on, on par with Weebus in the future. But the versatility is what makes a difference, right? Yeah, I think so. When you look at Vibas in the classics, she could have won some of the flatter classics. Charlotte Cool wasn't even there. as She was in the race, but she wasn't competitive. Like in Omlo, for example, trying to see where she finished. Eight minutes back with Lisa Klein and Sanguinetti for Trek. So... Yeah, Vibas just a little bit more fit, a little bit more versatile. I think in even in stage one of the tour, she was in. Yeah, well, I think she was in. Yeah, she won the bunch sprint behind in the second group, and that had a punchy climb about nine k's cresting from the finish. So definitely much more versatile. Although Cool was there as well, but yeah, um, Vibas just kept winning. Although 
yeah, not as not as dominant. We we have to say not as dominant, but but it's yeah. Is it partially because of the team situation? As in, in many of the races, she ends up winning the the sprint behind. For example, in a Nokura course and so forth. Yeah. If it was Kopecky in a separate team and Weebus in a separate team, both with full support, we might see the entire team surrounding Weebus trying to chase down whatever Kopecky does there, if that's even possible, because Kopecky was pretty good in some of these classics races. And then maybe Weebus wins the race, because now it's like the one-twos for SD works where Weebus ends up second. And I think that happened in Omlop as well, if I recall correctly. So the, the one thing I do need to mark is she was just so versatile that she was also very valuable to the team next to the sprinting, which might not necessarily mean much for this specific award, but the sprinting cow betting, the fact that she was there still helping so late, and you mentioned that first to the front stage, the fact that they can use her tactically by having her in that group on that final hit in the first stage, and then Kopecky's looking behind her, ooh, she's slipping a bit, now it's time for Kopecky to go, so that makes the team have more options, and I think it's pretty clear for me that Wibbs is still the best sprinter in the world, but when it comes to easy sprints, easy flat UAE tour stages, stuff like that, Cole can compete with Wibis. Yeah, and the best example of what you're describing is the European Championships. Not sure if we yes. mentioned that, where the Netherlands is there. It's not SD Works, but you know, Netherlands. Bredevold is on her trade team, but she had Bredevold up the road. And then yep. Vibas beat Kopecky in the sprint up um, in Luke's backyard. So. <laughs> um, we had we, this is a re-recording, by the way. Um, so I ha we had loads of I had loads of Luke Netherlands fan jokes, and I intend to repeat them and get them in uh, in this in the second time of asking, particularly when we get to um, I can't remember maybe the Amstel Gold Race scam, but that was in the men's race. <laughs> but, Jesus! <laughs> oh no, the Pagachi one though. Anyway, I'd, I've gone off a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of I'm kind of flustered today, but yeah, it's Viva's second, uh, first, cool second. Who's third? I find it really difficult. I think Consani can fight for it. I think Balsamo has a bit of a, a nah, mania as a consequence year. of the injuries she's had. But she had one sprint where she straight up beat Weebus and yeah, Cole, if I recall correctly, towards the end of the season. I can't remember which race it was, but it did happen in my memory. So maybe I just made it up. Maybe I didn't. But I. Uh, she doesn't have the consistency throughout the year due to the, the injuries, I'd say. But I don't have the feeling I had a few years ago when we saw Cole coming up in the, in the same team as, as DSM. Well, uh, the same team as Weebus back then. Uh, she came from a different team into DSM and I was like, okay, she's got, she's got the results to be able to actually step up here. She's been able to compete with really good sprints. And I don't have that about someone else right now. I don't feel like I've got someone where I'm like, that's going to be someone competitive with East Riders next year. I think third for me is Mariana Voss. She actually oh. had a, a better season than I thought. It wasn't mm -hmm. her best season, but she beat Charlotte Cool in a Vuelta sprint. And then she won a sprint of a small group the next day in, in the yep. Vuelta. And she was, I think, three top fives in the Tour de France, whereas Consoni didn't have that. And then three top fives in the Giro Donna. So not her best year where she's winning classics uh mm -hmm. or sprints leading out from 300 meters to go but i think she yeah. is third um and, and in terms of the lead outs there's three big ones there's guarishi on sd works who's viva's lead up but then Kapeki, i think where is she do the tour de france 
Nope. She she did not. So she didn't make the tour team because they needed a stacked team. So Kapeki Moonlighter there. And then there's George, Fiper Georgie at DSM for Charlotte Cool and Sanguinetti at Trek as well. But who is the best of those? And I'm thinking, honestly, quickfire response would be, I've got two first places. I've got Guarishi solo, and I've got the DSM train in its full. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think the DSM with Jastrab and and uh Koch as well Koch and and five for georgie is really really good and you're right it, it's probably the best overall unit i don't think the same way about sd works but then there's yep. you know the lotto touring and ladies tour where guarishi's winning that race with viva's second so yeah. she's i'd probably take her in bunch sprints alone guarishi over five for georgie georgie's obviously the better overall rider and classics rider um so it was it was weird, yeah, because it's like Gorishi's in the Mercury role, but doesn't couldn't go to the tour, <laughs> and so we didn't get to see her in action there. Maybe they did need an extra sort of dedicated flat domestique in the tour, not maybe not really. We'll talk about that in best team, but yeah, I think I think that's clear. Um, Gorishi probably the best overall, best TT rider, Benji. Ooh, we might have a discussion on this one. I'm not sure names that come in my mind or. Dargard World Champion, Royser, because she's probably the most consistent when it comes to victories throughout the year. Volring won, no, Volring competed in the Tour de France TT and was relatively close to Royser there. Then Kopecky and Grace Brown. For some reason, I always want to say Graham Brown, which is that Rabobank Australian sprinter from 15 years ago. And I don't know why. I think because he's like burnt into my childhood as this as this dude that I hated on Pro Cycling Manager as a kid. And that's why I keep thinking that, but Grace Brown deserves the respect. I feel like she's better at the longer time trials as shown in the World Championships, to be fair. And a few times throughout the year, she had relatively good results as well. I have a hard time choosing between Royster and Digert. And my initial thought was going for Digert. She won the World Championships. And my afterthought is, these riders don't have many races to prove their time trial skills in, eh? Because Digard rode, Digard restricted herself a bit because she spends most of the time outside of Europe. She rode American ITT and then the, the Worlds. But when it comes to Royster, then she got more results. She won the Tour de France ITT. How much do you value the Tour de France Fun TTT versus the World Championships TTT, knowing there's a solid gap between the Tour de France and other races in women's cycling? Yeah, it's a big TT, obviously. I probably, I'm not sure if I rate it more than Europeans. That's, Ooh, I don't yeah. rate it the same as Worlds. I think if you had to say, would you rather win a Tour de France TT or the Europeans? I think riders would rather win the TDFF yeah. one. And in the men's race, men's, I think that applies similarly. So I think it is, yeah, Worlds. TDFF TT and then maybe Europeans in its own category and then there's the other TTs throughout the season like uh, in Tour de Suisse where she won that TT which was also ahead of Demi Vollering and so she was really really good she won three TTs I think this season which is like half the world to an ITT calendar and because the world had a TTT um, where actually SD works weren't that good and then in world she had the complete meltdown Marlon Royster so she, she DNF there so that's the big knock against her against Diget it's like the biggest TT of the year Diget won 
and the um and Diet won that with she was sick, right? Yes. <laughs> That's the crazy part. She was sick there. I think she she said that she was sick. I would guess. Wasn't that the weird one where Canyon Shram came out to say she was sick? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. The morning of the race, yeah, or something. Because <laughs> no, I thought it was excuse city. When I saw that statement, I thought she's told the team to start putting the excuses out there because she's not going to win. <laughs> and she still came out and damn won, which is impressive. Yeah. And I believe she was sick because yeah. this, and this is getting to this point. On her day, Chloe Diger is the best time trialist in the world if everyone's healthy. I think that yeah. is clear. Like from Harrogate, just smoking Van der Brecher, you know, I think she's the best. But she got that one win. But it's not like there's many TTs. She can't do Europeans, Benji. Am, am exit. Get out of here. Am exit. Get out of here. <laughs> well, um, are British people still allowed to do the Europeans? <laughs> they, of course, Josh Darling, right? Am I dumb? I actually was thinking, yeah, I, I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Australia can do Eurovision. Why can't we do European champs? <laughs> Man, get out of here. Oceana champs, same UCI points. <laughs> Easy farming, baby. Except Jaco yeah, decided true. not to do it during the relegation cycle last year. Um, even though that's like Astana's whole strategy for points is Asian champs, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, Diet well, won. You know, no vax and whatever. Won that world's really impressive. Um, yeah. I'm going Royce because she was the best time okay. trialist across the season after all that. I'm going Digerd because World Champs ITT matters. And yep. I'm going Brownford because I believe that she's underrated. Yeah, I, I, when we, you, you fully convinced me on Brown. Her TT season is actually very, very good. And six seconds off winning the overall Worlds. I was flirting with having Volring in third because on a hilly parkour, I think she's mm -hmm. very, very good, obviously. But she didn't win the last... She didn't win the Tour de France TT. And so, yeah, I have Royce, Diget, Brown. But that, that's a really interesting category. And I think the TTs are very exciting this year. Both the yep. Worlds one, the TDF. I really thought the, the TTs were very, very good. Um, and Van Dijk is coming back. So that's going to yep. be interesting next year. But anyway, TTs aside, let's go to the next category. A pretty quick one, this Best domestique. Names that come in mind, mind for me are a lot of SD Works writers. <laughs> Majerus, Bredewold, uh, Marcus Reusser once again. Georgie as well. That is not an SD Works rider, obviously. Um, Odbianik from Movistar comes into my mind. Luz Adeghe is the likes of Brody Chapman. Like, Patino. Patino also Rialini in some races. Star. Yeah, Rialini when she shouldn't have been. <laughs> 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 Femme van Empel in the Tour de Lavenir, but that's very specific to the point that it probably shouldn't matter for this <laughs> one. I'm going to be very shallow. I'm going to say Mar Marlon Reusser because really? throughout the season, she's consistently been the rider that has been in the last phase of a race where she wasn't leader and still helping the others. But I know that's a very um, easy pick because I don't I agree. Off -air, you, ooh, off air, you mentioned that it sounds like I'm giving it to Van Aert in 2022, for example, which fair. Yeah, but Van Aert actually made a difference in big stages. Royster made a difference to win races, I believe. 
as well, a domestique. Again, I, just... I will I will mention <laughs> there were moments where the team misused her and therefore she wasn't able to offer much for Volering. But that's not her fault. She was there to help the team that had shit tactics. I would sooner give it, even if it's not technically correct, I would sooner give it to the dedicated domestiques just because yeah. to, to recognize them, even though I accept, yeah, Royce on Tourmalet was the one pulling for Volering. She was the one there closing down Nivea Doma's move for Volering, which is very important. So I accept that. But yeah, like the Bredevold and Majerus, more the unsung heroes of SD Works. Um, Elena Cicchini as well, Anna Shackley, yeah. uh, Lonica, Lonica Unikin, Femke Marcus. Like these riders also make a big difference to winning races. But I really like Movistar, I think, have a more traditional. They have a much more traditional setup, like an old school setup of Van Vleuten's the best, Lippert's yep. the best puncher, sprinter, and Norsgaard sort of breakaway. But the other riders are really dedicated professional domestiques, which it worked. Actually, like Movistar's tactics, <laughs> like they won the Vuelta when they sent it in the yeah. crosswinds. Like tactically, the women's team, very, very That's... good. And so, Florgi Mackay, Sarah Martin, Shayla Gutierrez, uh, Yelena Erich, Alda Bjanic, and Paula Patino. So, Bjanic, I have as the best ruler domestique this year. Patino okay. is the best climbing domestique. And then. <laughs> Yeah, Braid of old as well, but I know that Royce probably made more of a difference. Um, they're my three. And the beauty of that, in my opinion, is that right here, you see Royster, who is a rider that is prominently one of the better riders in certain categories, like in Time Trial, for example. And she can win races on her own regard, but Volring then buys her loyalty by having her also basically, she gifts a few GC victories to to Royster as well. I think one of them was where Royster actually deserved to win, which I think was through the Swiss where she won the time trial. Yeah. But I swear in Itzulia, there was this moment in the last stage where Volring could have easily said Royster just lead this group to the finish line. But no, she let Royster attack, which put all the others in a chasing position, and Royster ends up winning GC. Let's hope for Volring that she was okay with that. <laughs> I think she was. But rewarding Royster with that also buys her loyalty in the races where Royster needs to help out Volring, which matters. Yeah, I think... Mm, I don't know, there's some strange interviews at the end of the Tour de France fam with, <laughs> with Royster. When, I don't uh, remember. I, yeah, I remember one being like, that's odd. Uh, about, you know, are you happy for the team winning X? And she's like, well, I'm sure they're happy about it, about this, but for me... You know, it's not my result. I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> okay. But actually, gives a good interview. I like Royce. I'm not, I, I actually like her as a writer. I think she's, gives a really good interview and she's obviously very intelligent. But um, I, I just, I just like giving it to the sort of pure domestiques like Patino yeah. and co. Uh, anyway, I get that. best Next classics rider. Ooh. This is a tough one. Yeah. I think this is the closest one of the year. Might be. I think a lot of people are going to be controversial about both the best classics rider and both the best rider because it's between the, the same riders, I think. It's between Volring and Kopecky and I don't see anyone who really comes near them. And when it comes to the cobbled classics, Kopecky is the first one. When it comes to the Ardennes, Volring is the first one. Volring's results in one-day races are Ardennes triple, so Amstel Flesh LBL. First at Strade, first at Dwarsdorf Vlaanderen, if you want to count that. 
then second at Worlds behind Kopecky, second at RVV behind her teammate Kopecky, second at Brabantse, but I once again don't really count that as much, just like Dwarves of Vlaanderen. And on the other end of the spectrum, on the other side of the ring, we've got Kopecky, her teammate, who ends up winning RVV in front of Volring, World Championships against Volring, Omlop, which is ahead of Weebus, but yeah, not the highest prestigious race in the women's cycling sport, I'd say. Second at Strade, behind Volring, and then seventh at Roubaix, which I still think is a tactical failure from the team, and not competitive in Gendwevelgem, and I don't remember who won Gendwevelgem, actually. Was it... Royster with like a fucking 10-minute oh, yeah. solo. Jesus Christ, that, that race was one of... That is the award for the, one of the worst races of the year. Yeah, I think Kabegi literally just stopped... She would have stopped trying, I think. That's why <laughs> so her result well. looks strange there. Because, yeah, Royce had a one with like an hour and a half to go. Who do you see having the, the battle won here? It's tough because they did go head-to-head -head on a Healy Classics parkour and Volering won the sprint, but did Kopecky know that they were sprinting for the win at the end of Strata Bianca? <laughs> what a finish that was with Faulkner up the road, the illegal glucose monitor gives the big don't argue elbow <laughs> into Volering into the barriers. The horse? Um, the horse trying to kill Volering. <laughs> like, that was a... The last hour of that was unbelievable scenes. Yeah. Um, Great race, and then, but but Volering won that one. But then, uh, it's like, did could Kopecky have won Amstel? But because she came second, but Volering won with a sort of two K solo Cavalli style. Again, that sort of team dynamics. But Kopecky, for me, I I think if you add up all the if you assign a weighting, a, a ranking to all the races, yeah. and then to first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and then you add it all up, I think Volering will come out ahead of Kopecky because she's always second or first in all these races. And Kopecky didn't win Roubaix. But world champs with less team support, with AVV and Volering rolling attacks on her, yeah. Kopecky smoked them. And so... Yeah, best overall one-day rider, classic rider, whatever you want to say. It. I, I think it's Kopecky because uh, she got the sprint. And yeah, I, that's, that's how I see it, even if Volering maybe has more stats accumulated this year, plus an Arden triple. I agree. When we only look at the Palmares, it's Volering. But when we look at the strength of the rider across all of these terrains, including the factor of the world championships, like you mentioned. That's really the deciding factor for me. The fact that she rode on a weaker team, which was Belgium. Credits to Julie van der Velde, Julie Duel, and so forth in that race. They were strong, but it's not the Netherlands. <laughs> it's not even close. So I reckon I'd also give best classic rider to Kopecky. And that brings us to the opposite side of the spectrum. Well, but just on that, it's also uh, like, to you, is it Volring won the Arden triple, but... Mm-hmm. Flesh, hard to win solo there. Amstel, you know, team yep. dynamics, last two Ks. Liège, probably the race that suits the best. Couldn't drop everybody, went with Elise Long or Borghini, won the sprint. Whereas Kopecky, to me, it felt like when she just wanted to win the race in the Cobble Classics or Worlds, she just yeah. said, oh, I'm going to win now. Tour of Flanders, 20K solo. Omelette, yeah. 12K solo. Roubaix, chasing... Still won the sprint behind the breakaway with it. She should have won that race. So, yeah, that's also why I have her first. Yeah, and she's Flemish, so 10 points extra. Anyway, next category best GC rider. Unfortunately, uh, there's no Flemish riders involved there. It's Volring versus um, 
it's Volring. Sorry. <laughs> well, it's her against uh, Anime Van Vloten, who we, we can't forget in one of the biggest yep. stage races of the year. It pulled off the beat. Well, not it wasn't a coup because she's Anime Van Vloten with <laughs> the greatest GC Palmares ever. Um, but she won the Giordano. She yep. won... Won that Vuelta with the crosswind chaos stage where SD Works was sleeping, but on Covadonga she lost a minute to to Volering, and yeah. then on the Tourmalet and the Tour de France she really got got beaten badly by by Volering. Like two thirty four is that's a big big gap um, on the Tourmalet. So yeah, it's Volering. She won. I could have won it, Zulia. Could have maybe won Swiss, and yeah. in the tour she was just at, at at a level that was really really high level. Like the watts there is crazy stuff because she's not just got the high squats per kilo; she's also bigger than like taller and more athletic than a lot of these riders. So she's putting out more absolute watts. Just it's got the sprint, got the TT, unstoppable. This. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Here. I agree. And like Tour de France Femme is also the most important of these races. Would you say that winning the Tour de France Femme is more important than winning both the Giro and the Vuelta combined in general? Well, it must be. Otherwise, we'd be giving it to Van Vleuten. Nah, but it's also, I think competition matters also in this, this like discussion because the Giro was against not Paul Rings, <laughs> which it matters. And the Vuelta. I can't forget about hashtag Pgate. Like it happened. Without that, I don't see Volering not winning that. Like it was a valid strategy to attack there. Like, but that being said, it wouldn't have happened without hashtag Pgate. Yeah, and it's also I think the Vuelta is in a better place in the schedule. That's why okay. we had the two big guns ahead of each other, and the Girodona is during the first week of the men's tour, where I think. If you want to do an ideal preparation for the women's tour when it's straight after the men's race, you you want to skip that and you want to do yep. an altitude camp instead of Giordana. So that's why, yeah, the two combined, I'm not sure, but definitely it was, I think, optimal to skip the Giordana this year. Is it easier to combine in 2024 or will it be worse with the Olympics also being in between? I think... It's, ooh, yeah, the Olympics is a week after the men's tour. I don't know where the Giordana is in the calendar. Maybe they've changed it around. I mean, again, no, no, no races try to compete with the men's tour. And so yeah. that, that's now that it's, I think, RCS are managing that race, you would think they would try and change the calendar slot because it, it's very, very difficult to compete against the men's tour. But anyway, that's more into... Cycling mechanics, but yeah, Volering also won Tour de Romandie uh, against one of the best, well, top three GC riders this year for me, which was third place, uh, Kasia Nuviadoma, who finished yep. second in that race, who finished uh, third in Tour de France, Femmevec Swift, was the second best climber, and 
uh, was second on Tourmalet, but Kopecky was on the same time as her. She was fourth in Swiss, third in Itzulia. Really, really consistent and good this year in GC. Maybe he took a step back in the Ardennes. So, yeah, I've got uh, Volering first, Van Vleuten second, who's now retired, yep. and, and Nuvi number third. I've got Volering first, uh, Van Vleuten second, and I don't know about my first spot. Didn't think about it. I, uh, I'd probably also say Nivia Doma. I have a... Uh, I like Labou as a cyclist, but I feel like she's not up there. I feel like maybe fifth, sixth or something is Labou at the moment for me. But that being said, having done all these categories, before we get to the best rider trophy, I want to ask you this question. It's also something I've been thinking about a few times. Which riders can we see step up in all these categories? Because I'm thinking about... I like that Digert, for example. Nearly half of her races in 2023, she podiumed the race. And... That's a pretty crazy stat to have, which means that you're pretty all-rounder, but you're also not the best in every single category. She's obviously, in my opinion, the best ET tier of 2023, even though it's close with Royster. But she also sprints relatively well. She also climbs relatively okay. It's not godlike, but okay. And when it comes to climbing, Realinia is alive, but also Niedermeyer, Baronfein. Can we see those step up? And then I look at... Fem von Empel, who I've been hyping up way too much recently, because I truly believe she could step up to be one of the one of the generation. What do you say that again? Generation riders? No. Generational talent. Generation talent riders? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Want to see her at Strade? Same with Buck Peterson. But anyway, who do you feel like could step up? I think Nivia Doma. I think she took a big step up in GC this year. Labou's twenty five as well. She's young, and you know Nivia Doma. She she's twenty nine. She's been a pro for a while, but. Van Vleuten's 41, and the last, uh, from 2017 to this year, she's been either the best rider in the world or maybe not this year behind Volering. But yeah, from 2017 to 2022, she was the best rider in the world. Six seasons from the age of like 34 to 40. And so they're not the same person, I know, but in terms of GC and the way Mulman's still really good and... Uh, Thomas and Port really good and Valverde. I don't see why Nivedoma can't keep improving and can't take that step up. Can she be volunteering next year? I doubt it. But I really think Nivedoma's legit top three GC contender next year. Again, Diget is just, she'll be too focused on the track, too explosive, more of a one-day rider and can can do it all except the hardest Tourmalade sort of style climbs. Is, is Kopecky, she came second in the Tour, Benji. Um, like, yes, I, I don't see why she couldn't. Like, she won the Simac Ladies Tour. Yeah, she won the yeah. She she could do well in other in other races. I somewhat agree, but I also feel like that is peak Kopecky that we're looking at. That is the best Kopecky we've seen. The one we saw climbing Trumale sixth on the Trumale, for example. And it's also it needs to be a race specific to our qualities, as in. She had a solid advantage in the first two stages, which she can obtain in other stage races. I feel like she could have gained more in the stages. SD Works hindered both of their riders by focusing on both, but it's understandable that they focused on both to try and keep them both happy. Arguably gave Kopecky quite a bit of freedom during those stages. But I also feel like if we then look at the Tour de France Femme, it's also kind of only the Tourmalet in that Tour de France Femme. And then I'm thinking, okay, if there's three mountain stages, she probably won't be on the podium. 
Yeah, well, like next year's mountain stage is brutal. The last two are. Yeah, that's going to be a real test for her. So, if yeah, she's she, there, she, if she's there, because there is the Olympics. But yeah, she has to build up a big buffer uh, on these sort of more pure climbers. Riolini would love her to step up. I think in terms of climbing, she's going to be top three on the, on that Tour de France stage next year yep. that we mentioned. But then there's all the you know the other issues and aspects to cycling it. TT riding on the flat, punchy finishes where because of her small size, uh, descents, etc., it's going to be trouble for her. Like, remember when this year when Nuvidoma went on that descent, yeah, and and Vollering and Van Vleuten were there. I, I see Riolini getting dropped back to group three there, yeah, even if she's she's with and them on the Aspin. It's not just Riolini, I think we've got the same issue with someone like Petra Szczesny on Finney's the Koenig. She was that rider that I think OTL the first stage of the Tour de France from two years ago. Uh, or 2022, that is, and 2023 in Tour de l'Avenir, she, she finished ahead of Riolini on the mountain stage, but that's also because they both got fucked by the teamwork of Van Androoy and Fem van Empel in that, in that race, and they both... Their weight is a disadvantage. She's 45 kilos as well, so good luck going downhill as fast as a, as a 55, 60 kilometer, kilogram rider. Kilometer rider is a bit long, but... yeah. But exactly, like in a multi, I think multi mountain stages where there's no flat, it's yep. okay. It's where there's like valleys and some punchy stuff and descents. That's the real trouble because on the that Tour de France, uh, Tour de Lavenir stage you mentioned is uh, was a proper mountain stage, arguably harder than the Tour de France Fam one. And she was third on that stage. She was really really good. So yeah, we'll be looking for those riders to step up as well. I like that there are more mountain stages coming into the, to these races, but. Now for the final overall award, best rider. I think it's Van Vleuten. I have third. That's, okay. It's hard to go past Van Vleuten in and now, third, I think. The big two, Volering and Kopecky. There was a huge argument after the Velodor because a lot of people kind of were hoping Vol uh, Kopecky would win. Volering ended up winning the Velodor, and I'll be honest, I kind of agree. As in... If we take a look at everything, we even spoke about the classics being so close between Volring and Kopecky. So close, because successful-wise, Volring has loads of results. Second at World Champs, second at the Ronde of Vlaanderen, Strade winning, then triple Ardennes, but then also in addition to that, first at Tour de France Femme versus Kopecky, second at Tour de France Femme, which it's a podium at the Tour de France Femme, it should matter for Kopecky as well. If you look at road cycling results, it's straight up Volring, and this is a road cycling podcast, so we don't consider the, the amazing achievements that Kopecky did next to the road, which is multiple world championships on the track and so forth. That's all impressive, but this is a road cycling podcast, so it's Volring for me. Yeah, I agree. The, the GC in those... like Kopecky had almost the full team behind her in the Tour de France fam. Stage one, she's allowed to go for it. Takes that extra time whilst yep. Volering is mucking up the chase behind. And Volering could have won that race. Like, this is what we were screaming about all race before the big mountain stage. We're like, when are they going to... She could have won Volering the, the stage that... Um, yeah, who's, yeah. who's the opposite? Castelline won. Yep. Volering could have won that medium mountain stage and taken time. If they just smashed it for her... So she was the most dominant GC rider, the most dominant Hill Classics rider, and then pretty damn good in the Cobble Classics too. So yeah. I have to give it to Volering because at times 
yeah, like I, I think the margin between her and the other riders is actually bigger than sometimes the results say in, uh, in these races. So I also, you know, I'm a GC guy. So if, if you have the GC results plus the one-day results, then... Yeah, and I'm, I'm a classics yeah. guy, also valuing the GCs, but I'm a classics guy and I still give yeah. Volering it because if you look at results, it's just more. She just won all year in different types of disciplines. And yeah, she didn't win an RVV or Roubaix, but Kopecky also win didn't win Roubaix. If Kopecky wins Roubaix, then I'll give it to Kopecky, in my opinion. Because Roubaix, yeah. RVV, and World Championships would be the equivalent of what Mathieu van der Poel did on the men's side. And second in the tour. Yeah, and the green jersey. Yeah, so then that changes it, but she didn't. So, yeah, volering, but still we're talking. Unfortunately... We've just spent a long time discussing in various categories a lot of things between riders on the same team, yeah. which is Volring against Kopecky. And so now with Van Vleuten retiring, who fortunately wasn't on the same team, yeah. we are hoping there is some more competition against SD Works next year. That's going to require money for the other teams, better selections, and getting up to their level. But uh, hopefully that can happen because, yeah, SD Works this year obviously were the best team. 60 wins overall, 40, yeah. 40 World Tour wins with, I, I believe, a less, there's less World Tour races in the women's calendar than the men's calendar in terms of, like, there's, 60, there's 63 World Tour race days across the three men's Grand Tours alone. Yeah. So they won 40 in a condensed calendar more than Yumbo did. So incredible dominance. Not, it's not good for probably... Yeah, like for my entertainment, it definitely wasn't good yeah, because how I felt when I was watching the season was a lot of the races, I just felt like I knew what was going to happen before the race started. And I always felt like unpredictability is something in cycling that is super valuable. The fact that you can't predict what's going to happen, that the last climb comes and something happens and you're like, whoa, I didn't see this coming. This is amazing. A plot twist, something like that. I love plot twists and also in the sport. And sorry, but. A lot of races were straight up boring this season. Ken's Wavelgem, sorry, but write it off. I didn't like that. Brugge de Pano was really good. That's the opposite side of the spectrum. That was one of the races that, how in holy hell is Brugge de Pano one of my favorite races of the season in women's cycling? Because it's around your house. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that wasn't the reason, but <laughs> echelons and so forth. But also next to that, the fact that we saw multiple teams fighting for the bloody victory. Yeah. And... It's not just that they're winning in one category, they're winning in multiple disciplines. They're, they've got the best rider overall, they've got the best classics rider, they've got the best cobble classics and the best Ardennes rider, they've got the best sprinter, they've got, in my opinion, the best time trial and the shared winner yeah. of time trial. They've got one of the best lead outs as well. Like, sorry, but this is shit for the sports entertainment. And the, honestly, I enjoyed watching the races less than last year, for example, and I hope that switches around again because I love being invested in this. Well, because the year before, it was volering against... It was like the super team, ST Works, and maybe that's Yumbo as well, but then yeah. you had AVV or in sort of was still the best. Um, she was still the, the queen, and yeah. she... Yeah, like, I guess, yeah, she's still then torched, torched following in the Tour de France fam. So, 
there was a better GC rider on another team back in 2022, but that's, that wasn't the case this year. It's as if Jumbo Visma, in addition to the riders they already have, had would Philipson also and Poggy. Philipson and Vanderpool. Yeah, yeah. Is how I'd say. That's how I see it. Because then yeah. Pogacar is von Vleuten, in my opinion, yeah, which is kind of weird. No, but... no, that's a good analogy. But yeah, it's. I think Strada, it doesn't, just because they win the race doesn't mean it's necessarily, like, Ken Vettel and the men suck too. That wasn't particularly exciting. Um, but <laughs> Strada was good to watch in the women's. Yes. And they went 1-2 because Faulkner was up the road, because there was lots but of stuff happening. Also because we didn't know if they were going to fight each other or not after the finish line. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Hopefully next year, I'm, I'm very hopeful that the Reallinis, the Canyon Shram yeah. uh, women are very exciting, the, the roster they have. And maybe the most exciting race of the year was Paris-Roubaix. That's the one that I really remember because Alison Jackson yeah. won. And the breakaway was, it, it was different. I really, really liked that race, uh, the women's Paris-Roubaix. So um, yeah. maybe the new EF structure kicks on and, and they got Faulkner, they got Ewers, they got Falk, uh, uh, Jackson. Jackson. Anyway, that was our GC... Uh, no, not G we're about to move on to GCN+. Plus. That was our <laughs> women's awards show. Let us know who you think, what you disagree with. Time trialist may be a bit controversial. Best one-day rider may be controversial. Uh, but now we'll move on to GCN+. Plus. Uh, an announcement came out today. Benji, have you got it up? I wanna, I'll read out. Have you got the announcement to read out or the email? Well, I can read it out. I just got it an hour ago. <laughs> so uh, basically, everybody that has a subscription has gotten an email appropriate to their region, right? It was region-specific that the GCN Plus and the GCN app would be disappearing. Is that a good summary? Yes, pretty much. That. Um, let me just have a look quickly. Okay. Dear GCN Plus subscriber. We are sending you this email as a valued subscriber of GCN Plus. We're sorry to inform you that the GCN Plus service and the GCN app will close on 19 September, 19 December 2023. Um, yeah, that's it, really. And like, people get a pro rata uh, refund. And also, uh, the, the, the weird thing about this was, and then there's also the YouTube video on GCN uh, YouTube channel. There was us thinking, where do we go watch cycling now? Um, yep. Which we'll get to in a second. But do you want to? You've done a little bit of research, Benji. Do you want to maybe run through people like where this is coming from? Because it, yeah, I think uh, Daniel Lloyd said in the GCN video that this was a decision of their parent company, Warner Brothers Discovery. Yeah. So basically, most people know GCN as the YouTube channel, which initially started in 2013. Is my guess your guess? But Throughout the years since that, there's been major changes when it comes to the ownership of that, because in 2015, Discovery, which is the Discovery Communications company, took full ownership of Eurosport, which is outside of this. But then in 2017, two years later, they actually took a 20% stake in the media group that is behind GCN Global Cycling Network, which that media group is called Play Sports Group. And that 20% stake, you can't do that much with a 20% stake. You don't have like full ownership, whatever, or controlling interest. But in 2019, they upped that. Discovery Communications acquired a controlling interest in Play Sports Group, increasing the 20% to 71%. 
And that's when we saw a few changes in the, in the spectrum, because as most people will know, Discovery, if they own Eurosport, they've got the connections with broadcasting rights, licenses through broadcast races to make summaries of races, whatever. And in 2019, we see them taking over GCN with controlling interest, which means that in 2020, we then see the rise of the GCN race pass. I completely forgot this existed before I was looking this up because this was basically GCN Plus before it was GCN Plus. So in 2020, that included live racing, films and weekly shows. But then the year after in 2021, GCN Plus was started, which was basically that. Just a combination of all that, the live racing broadcast, the coverage we are, we are watching most of the year. So 2021 is where that started, but there's been some changes at Discovery, I would say, because they have the Discovery Plus streaming service for themselves, which I think they also have a combination with HBO Max in that, which includes HBO shows like Game of Thrones and so forth, and Westworld, check that out. Anyway, <laughs> that is one streaming service. Eurosport Player was a streaming service of Eurosport when they acquired Eurosport, so that's the second streaming service. And then the third one is GCN Plus that they, well, that Discovery kind of helped make in the two years after they had their controlling interest. So three streaming services, which GCN Plus was straight up cycling, Eurosport Player was straight up sports, and Discovery Plus was TV shows, movies, but also some sports included also in the US and so forth. But January 12, 2023, we saw signs that Eurosport Player was being phased out. I'm, I'm currently in the UK, and when I go to the Eurosport Player website, it's telling me that they're moving to Discovery Plus. So that means one of the three streaming services is moving into Discovery Plus. They're basically trying to move all their streaming services into Discovery Plus. And unfortunately, today, Wednesday, November 15th, we see the next sign, which is GCN Plus and the GSCN app closing, which it's not just the streaming service GCN Plus moving to Discovery Plus. It's also some surrounding stuff disappearing, right? The GCN app disappearing is one thing, but also some of the shows and what happens with the documentaries that were made on GCN Plus. I'm, I'm like, I've got so many questions about that stuff, you know? But that's the run through the timeline, I'd say. Yeah, so it's, that's what was all, is a little bit confusing to me is that there's the acquisition of Play Sports Group Network, whatever, by yeah. Warner Brothers Discovery. And then they presumably green light with their investment or funding or whatever, the creation of the of GCN Plus. Yeah. And then they shutter it three years, four years after they've made it. Now, I must admit, and listen, GCN Plus, I don't think I would have been able to get the podcast off the ground because I was in Australia and so there's no way to watch every single race legally in Australia really. There wasn't before GCN Plus or the, most of the races. And, you know, for, for me, you, Benji, or a lot of the degenerates listening, um, GCN Plus is like, if you're, especially if you're not in Europe and you can't have access to Eurosport, yeah. is the like the best way to watch all the races. Um, the Tour de France is often, yeah, it's on SBS in Australia or it's on a NBC in America or I don't know. Um, that's easy to get access to, but the, the other races we want to watch across the year, 
the BBC and SBS, they don't want to carry those Volta Valenciana yeah. and put them on. So really, really sucks. And obviously also terrible because play sports or GCN or whatever you want to call it is maybe or probably the biggest employer in Anglophone cycling media. Yeah. So that's also really bad for people whose jobs might be affected by by this news. And it obviously is coming from above. Uh, so that's that's a real shame for them. And as well with the quality of the content, like it was a dedicated app for cycling, right? So yep. they are going to put more effort into the coverage of those races 100%. That, that we all love, that maybe not the broader public will love. Hopefully they will get more of the broader public than uh, a bigger broadcaster or whoever who they're like, oh, okay, we'll do the tour, do Paranese, but is Daniel Lith and Nakira course or is it going to move our bottom line? No. I think, like, I agree with you there. As in, first of all, thoughts with the people that are working at GCN Plus that are affected by this, that are working at GCN that are affected by this, because obviously they're the first ones that are impacted, but also next to that, you said it there. You you hit the nail in the coffin. No, that's not really the that's not the the correct nail on the head. Nail on the head. <laughs> Bit of a different expression there. But um, I almost blamed you for killing GCN yeah, there yeah. for a second. <laughs> <laughs> you hit the nail on the head, that, Yeah, you hit the nail on the head when when you said that Discovery now called Warner Bros. Discovery. Oh, they merged. Yeah, exactly. Like that company. I have a hard time believing that they will understand what the cycling fandom, the cycling fans that we are want to see throughout the season, nor they'll, they'll, they'll just think with their wallet. Yeah. And as you said, you know, it's, it's not a dedicated service. I will say that if you compare what GCN Plus was offering throughout the year and like, it's not a plug, I know they advertised the podcast this year, but it's not a plug because you know it's yeah. shuttering in december but if you compare it to the other uh, over the top streaming services it was too cheap it was too yeah. cheap like in my opinion when you see the cost of not competitors in the cycling space who had less of a rights package in most territories but importantly against other niche sports it, it could have been double the price because i thought it was too cheap compared now obviously people are like, well they want to pay less but i think it that, but whether that would have changed anything, I don't know. I do think it was, and back to the, Euro, the discovery point, I also thought it was odd that they had GCN Plus and Eurosport players sitting side by side because yeah. the, the broadcast rights agreement must have been done at discovery level, right? So discovery goes to ASO, discovery goes to RCS, goes so. to Flanders Classics. They get the rights in one agreement for their various properties, yeah. Eurosport and GCN Plus. I never understood why Eurosport player or now Discovery Plus, and this is what we're about to get to, why they couldn't have just done that offering for outside of Europe. Why did they greenlight the creation of a second app for rights? They had the right to distribute. It, that's, that bit never made much sense to me, and it still doesn't make sense here where... There's been, uh, I think, it's on the, uh, an article on the Eurosport website saying if you're in Europe, if you are in Europe in most of the main countries, you're kind of fine. You subscribe to Eurosport Player or Plus, whatever, 
for roughly the same price, same catalogue of races. But if they have the rights already for the GC GCN Plus to show the Tour de France non-exclusively in Australia, why can't, the Dis why can't Australians do that with Discovery Plus or Eurosport? That's what doesn't make sense to me. Why aren't they offering it in these countries? They said they're going to work with local partners. I don't know that either. Uh, I, I think it's because it's not built. Like, the, they don't have it built for that specific region, maybe. They might not have the team for that specific region. I mean, it's just geo-blocking, isn't it? Fuck. Uh, I, I'm not sure. They need specific support teams for that area. True. I think it's a bit more than that. Management for that area, some kind of, like... But I agree that that would be the most logical decision. Because, like, now they're, they're trying to get everybody to Discovery+, Plus, but you said it. It could have been more money for GCN Plus in, in the past, but Discovery Plus is also nearly double the price for 12 months. In, in Norway, it's five times the price. In Denmark, it's four times the price. In Germany, you're lucky because then it's apparently cheaper. Really? <laughs> Which is odd. So we, we, got, we all got to move to Germany, people. Like every cycling fan moved to Germany. That's the only solution I see here. But you're saying it's available in all those countries, like you said, at Eurosport Player and so forth. But if they're also planning to phase that out and I feel like they're just phasing out too early, as in well, as, Discovery as, Plus is not even launched in Belgium and France yet. So that's the, that's the part the, that doesn't make sense to me. Because now, now the Belgians would have to move to Eurosport Player, is what they're saying, right? But then they're going to phase out Eurosport Player, so then we're going to have to move to Discovery Plus, and like, man, this is a fucking carousel every year at this point. Like, yeah. What, what, Am I going to get a refund every year for my subscription that I had for the service that they're phasing out? Or what, what, what's the long-term plan here? <laughs> I, 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 can, I can understand if you're a parent company and you have multiple streaming services that have a group of customers across them and each Eurosport Player, GCN Plus and now uh, Discovery Plus each has the right to broadcast live cycling races under yeah. the same umbrella rights agreement. I can understand consolidating them. I can understand it. And I can also understand that, you know, people have um, subscription fatigue and bundling things is probably the way you want to go, generally speaking, so people don't have a million different subscriptions to things if they can avoid it. Assuming that someone might have a Discovery Plus subscription for the reality TV and then a GCN mm -hmm. Plus subscription for the cycling, put the two together, save that person a bit of money, I guess is the theory. But... As you just said, there is no seamless transition. Like, GCN Plus has built yes. up this customer base, and with their editorial and with their films and with the, the, their digital media products outside of the live race, they've, they've built up the community customer base and uh, you know, the people's the data and stuff. And then basically on 15 November, one month into the off-season, you cut them there. How are you going to get all the cycling fans across to Discovery Plus in on February one? That, like, especially not this way. As in, go look at that article to figure out what you need to look at next time. Is a shitty way to communicate. I was thinking, let's say they they offer a reduced price for existing GCN Plus customers. That's one thing they could have done, but didn't. Right? I don't even care about the reduced price for existing customers. I don't think you're. In, <laughs> I don't think you're entitled to a reduced price. If they just said, it's not going to be on GCN Plus, but your whole commentary team, everything is basically the GCN Plus Eurosport live broadcast is now going to be on Discovery Plus. It's the same price. 
and you get all the same races, I don't, everyone will be like, all right, a bit annoying to change. Yeah. But really, it's not, that's not the end of the world um, for consumers. But the fact that there's territories, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, India, Asia, US, US in places, is Discovery Plus not in the US? The app exists, but it's restricted to not sports, if I recall correctly. So then, huge markets. And now, if I'm <laughs> yeah. AS, and now if I'm ASO, right, and you just done Netflix series, and things are going well, and cycling's doing well, and you're wanting that to have a positive effect on all your non-Tour de France races, well, all of a sudden, people in those democratic countries are going to have to pay either a lot more, pay two different, multiple different places, or have actually, in a lot of cases, and I remember the Dark Ages, unfortunately, where <laughs> there's a lot of world tour races where if you're in those countries, you had no ability to watch them legally, which yeah. is ridiculous. Like, and that, that, we could be going back to that. Who are the winners? The pirates is how I'd see it. Like This yeah. will lead more people to pirating cycling coverage. Which doesn't put any money in the organizers' pockets or the team's pockets or the riders' yeah. pockets or the, or the general people who make a living off cycling's pockets, the media's pockets. So... Yeah, it's a shame. I mean, option option A, if I was ASO slash RCS Flanders Classics. Now, I don't know if they could band together with uh, anti if that's anti-competitive, but if I was ASO, I'd be thinking, we need to copy Formula One, NFL, NBA. They need their own streaming service that they own. They don't yeah. need to sell the rights to their own races to themselves. They have all their package of races, including the, and then maybe you then, you rip the Tour de France out of it because everyone, mostly people can access the Tour de France relatively easily. And you say, these big broadcasters are not going to put the same editorial effort into broadcasting uh, Troy Broglion or Paris Tour. Outside of France, that is. France TV does a good job. Yeah. Outside of France, if we want to grow US, Canada, Australia, all these countries, Germany, we got to do it ourselves and, and control it ourselves. And, it, um, and they can make money off subscription revenue, like yeah, GCN Plus did. If the races start benefiting from that, there's going to be one party that's going to be really unhappy, which is the teams who have been complaining for so bloody long that they're not earning any money okay. of the well, broadcasting. Well, now the teams... Go to explain to your sponsors, Jayco Alula, why you're doing a race. I'll pick another one. Um, that I'm trying to think of a race. Bass Country. Yeah. Go explain why Simon Yates is doing Bass Country and no one in Australia can watch that race next year, mate. Possibly. But we don't know for sure, but possibly. Yeah. And if so, then it's like, well, you know. ASO probably would make less money off, I don't know, but I think that's option A, that uh, that would match other sports, how they do it, where the organizer, because then you have continuity, they have a vested interest in, in making sure that works. So that's option A. Uh, and then the option B, there's another company that comes into that tries to get live rights. But, you know, speaking from experience, that's like people say, oh, why, why don't you try and do something? It's <laughs> like with the highlight video rights, you know, I had a business plan and projected, okay, but if it didn't work out, I was going to guarantee that with our personal savings. Basically, we we're going to guarantee any shortfall. With live rights, you can, that's not possible. You need, <laughs> yeah. you, need, you need investment 
to to do that you need to then okay say you get say you got to deal with aso fantastic excluding the tour i wouldn't go for the tour okay you're missing rcs races you're missing the classics you're missing Basque country e3 uh valenciana andalusia you're still missing a load of races and so it's really hard to build a, a proper package um to cover the whole year you need a lot of money and you need a lot of money because you need to build up subscribers or even if you did it on youtube and had a customer agreement with youtube and split the revenue like membership revenue with them and had it behind yeah. a youtube paywall still because that would save you on the app infrastructure which is also a big cost but true then youtube's taken <laughs> taken 35 percent um as well and then, probably yeah and then how are you gonna how are you going to incorporate advertising into YouTube live streams? I guess you could do it, but then it's not like Eurosport. Yeah, so it's difficult. It's, really, it's not an easy proposition. <laughs> and uh, Anyway, it's a shame. I feel for the people at GCN Plus. Sounds like it was, yeah, a big, you know, very obviously very, very bad news for them. And um, I guess we'll stay tuned, Benji, because we're personally, I'm now going to be thinking, how do we watch these races next year? What's the best way to watch these races? And I guess... Um, yeah, you got any other thoughts on it? Not really. As in, first of all, my main thought is that there's not too many people affected in the company itself, but also next to that, I hope that it doesn't lead to less people enjoying the sport that yeah. we're trying to enjoy, because that's the most important part. They're trying to enjoy the, the sport of cycling, and this might take away from that. You don't know how good it, you had it until, <laughs> until it's gone. When you, It's a Tuesday afternoon in February. You load up Andalusia, Valencia, uh, Valenciana, Algarve, double header. You, At the same time. You sit back and you're like, yeah, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jesus. Anyway, hopefully it all works out. Hopefully, as I said, if the existing rights agreements already allow it in those geographies for GCM plus I'm hoping with a bit of legwork over the next two three months they could put something together for those countries uh as well but anyway two steps four one step back Benji of cycling as always um, yeah. but we'll keep we'll keep plugging away we'll keep trucking along um that's what we do exactly all right <laughs> run out of content here sorry well no yeah Benji's Benji's run out all right that's all from us Hope you enjoyed uh, the podcast. We thought we'd give you that little update in the Women's Awards show. And uh, yeah, we'll see you with, I think, the start of team previews once I'm back in Australia next week. Until then, Ooh. ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 